Well, we are one day away from a momentous event, 9-11, and my wife is coming back, flying back tomorrow. Could we use the F word there, faith, or could we use the F word foolishness? All right, we'll see. But anyway, pray for her. She's been asking about some of you, and she'll be back tomorrow. She's been three weeks in Norway. Today we're going to continue our study on Acts of the Apostles. So I want you to take a Bible in your hands. I want you to interact with the text today. We're going to look at um, mainly verses 6, 7, and 8 in chapter 1, but I will try and summarize a little bit of what I covered last week. Do that in just a couple of minutes, and then we will move into these, these other verses. Uh, if you want to gain, gain some inspiration in your Christian life, immerse yourself in the book of Acts. It is a tonic. It is a stimulus. It is extremely powerful material. And I hope Jesus comes before I finish the series. <laughs> Why not? Okay, let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for your goodness and your love. We truly need um, the presence of your Holy Spirit to be here, to help us to understand the import of these, these texts and these words of Jesus and, and the gift of the Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord, for embracing us as your people. We've done nothing whatsoever to earn that. It's pure gift. And yet, Lord, we take those, that free gift with both hands. Now, Lord, help us to share Jesus in the marketplace of ideas. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You remember last week when I said that there are two books that we should look as one book, the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. Originally one book, not sure what title that one book would have, but eventually they became a little bit separated. And if you want to understand what the writer Luke, Dr. Luke, says at the beginning of Acts, you have to link it with the beginning of Luke. So do you remember last week we did that? Let's very quickly summarize last week's message. In my former book, Theophilus, Theophilus is the one that the book is addressed to, and then, of course, we ask the question, what is the former book? Well, what is it? The Gospel of Luke. So you go to the beginning of the Gospel of Luke. You have one finger in the beginning of Acts and one finger in the beginning of Luke. And Luke says this in his Gospel. Chapter 1, verse 1. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. So lots of accounts of Jesus, many, many oral accounts, some written accounts. And Dr. Luke is playing the part of a historian, and he's gathering these accounts together. He's going to put his own account together under, we, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we believe, and give a historical, orderly account of the life of Jesus Christ. 
just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. So it would seem to me that Theophilus there is perhaps an early convert of Christianity. Maybe he's a wealthy benefactor. Maybe he's uh, employing Luke, paying Luke to draw up this account. I don't really know the answers to all of that. But here we have, as I said last week, a historical account. Christianity is a historical religion. Religions are not historical. Christianity is. You need to understand the significance of that. It is not just having faith in pie in the sky. There are many, many eyewitnesses. People who lived with Jesus. People who saw Jesus die on the cross. People that saw Jesus after He rose from the dead. And people who saw Him ascend up into heaven. Those same people and many others would receive this tremendous anointing of the Holy Spirit, which would revolutionize their lives. By the way, this baptism of the Holy Spirit, which we will mention, even though we will not necessarily study today, absolutely empowers these people for witnessing. So we need to link two things together, maybe three things together today. What is the kingdom of God? That's on the minds of the disciples, and it's obviously on the mind of Jesus. He's spending 40 days explaining that to them. Don't you think you could have a lot of good Bible study for 40 days? 40 days. I'm lucky if I get 40 minutes with my church family. 40 days. Think of all the questions, all of the all of the uh, concerns and misunderstandings that the disciples, which they would, Jesus would, would have 40 days to try and settle their minds. Do you remember when I said this? Do you remember when you were jockeying for position? You thought there was going to be this earthly kingdom, freedom from the Romans? All of that would at least be discussed. Whether it would be fully understood by the disciples, I don't know. Because I think we see in these verses today the last inklings of, um, of the wrong ideas on an earthly kingdom that the disciples would have. So we have a historical Christianity, people that had seen and would testify to Jesus Christ. Luke wasn't one of those people. So he's going to them. Imagine interviewing the mother of Jesus. How neat would that be? Seeing the life of Jesus from the mother's perspective. That's what Luke must have done. Many, many people he would interview. So, in Acts chapter 1, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. That's what we call the ascension. Mentioned in verse 9. We may not get to that today. We might need to deal with that next week until he was taken up into heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. 
And after his suffering, he showed himself to these men. He gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Ten more days and then it would be Pentecost. Fifty days, 40 and 10. How many is that? What's the significance of 50 and Pentecost? A lot of symbolism there. Spoke about the kingdom of God. And on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. Now, it's important to recognize, even if I don't take you into the Old Testament passages, it's important to realize that Jesus isn't just pulling a rabbit out of the hat. There are many Old Testament texts. Think of Joel, think of Ezekiel 36 which talk of the tremendous outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Usually spoken of in the sense of of awakening national Israel, literal Israel. But they are there, the promise is there in the Old Testament, in Joel, the promise is for you and for all. In fact, when Peter preaches at Pentecost in chapter 2, he quotes the passage in Joel. So the Father's promise in the Old Testament, which you have heard me speak about, for John baptized with water, which of course these disciples had been baptized with John's baptism, no doubt. But in a few days you will be baptized with what? Now many of you in this room have been baptized with water, right? If you read Acts chapter 19, which you're not going to do now, but you're going to write it down in those notes that you're taking, and you're going to read it before you go to sleep tonight. In Acts chapter 19, I think it's Paul actually comes up to some believers and he says, when did you receive the Holy Spirit? And they said, we've not even heard about this Holy Spirit. So there can be a lot of instruction and there can be correct baptism by immersion as there was with John but there can be a real ignorance about the work of the Holy Spirit. And what the Holy Spirit does, and He is, of course, the third person of the Godhead, He is the one who can turn the weak Christian into a powerful Christian. Now, everything in your life and in my life that draws us to God our our call, our conscience being awakened, our conversion, our being kept by the Holy... It's all the work of the Holy Spirit. Even even if His name is not mentioned, he, He is the key player, together with the Father and the Son, in working in your life and my life and getting you into His kingdom, right? and keeping you in His kingdom. So to understand the Holy Spirit's work is incredibly important. Christ has promised the gift of the Spirit to His church, and the promise belongs to us as much as to the first disciples. Because what would we do if someone turned around and says, yes, Pastor Mason, but... Have you not noticed this is addressed just to the apostles, 
just to the disciples who were with Jesus. So how would you refute that? And I actually had um, an eminent Seventh-day Adventist say that very thing to me once, or words very similar to that. These people who are out witnessing, these are the apostles, not us. I nearly fell off my chair, but I pretended, as every pastor does, to have uh, not be surprised, because you've heard them all before. And uh, I was just surprised that it came from his mouth, I suppose. Should have known better. Like every promise that is given on conditions, there are many who believe and profess to claim the Lord's promise. They talk about Christ and about the Holy Spirit, and yet they receive no benefit. They do not surrender the soul to be guided and controlled by the divine agencies. We cannot use the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is to use us. Through the Spirit, God works in His people to will and to do of His good pleasure. Well, what is His will? What is His good pleasure? He wants to clone you into the image of Jesus. Okay, well, what do we know about Jesus? Everything that Jesus did that built up God's kingdom, did Jesus do a lot of stuff to build up God's kingdom? You're not sure about that? If you're not sure, read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then if that's not enough, read Desire of Ages. So everything that Jesus did to build up God's kingdom was all the work of the Holy Spirit. And as Jesus was anointed by the Spirit, so that he, he could be the model man who was executing God's plan, so you and I ought to be remade in the image of Jesus Christ. And as Jesus Christ was on the front lines of evangelism and witnessing, so you and I are. We don't want to talk about the Holy Spirit so that we can just be goody-two-shoes. It's not about that. It's about witnessing for the Lord Jesus Christ. Not about witnessing about my pietism, my sanctity, my holiness, my remnantology. I've just invented a new word. Yeah, what's that? I think I know. It's about Jesus. We get sidetracked too easily. We lose our focus just like the disciples did, even though Jesus told them over and over and over again. And it was only when the, the anointing of the Holy Spirit came upon them in Acts chapter 2 that they really were able to put the pieces together. Now, I'm not saying that they didn't make mistakes after that. Of course they did. And Peter needed to be rebuked publicly to his face by Paul. But at Pentecost and after Pentecost, there was a tremendous transformation. Not a, I don't believe a conversion, but a tremendous transformation. The way that they spoke, the freedom that they had to witness, to express the significance. See, see, lots of people knew that Jesus died, but they couldn't understand, even the disciples couldn't understand for a long time, the significance of the death of Jesus Christ. And the significance is that whoever, anyone on planet Earth, who believes and trusts in Jesus Christ has, present tense, everlasting life. Now that's powerful. 
Think of all the stuff that religion says we should do to be acceptable to God. And in one action of God, where He places His Son on two pieces of wood, the whole world can be reconciled back to God. So there's a message. It's good news about Jesus Christ, His life, His death, His uh, ministry in heaven, His second coming. All of these things need to be proclaimed as a witness by His followers. Okay, I don't know if we've summarized last week, but we're pretty close to it. Let's go to verse 6. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Duh! Now I think that's a wrong reaction. I think it's a legitimate question. The reason I said duh is because that's what many people do when they read this verse. Are these guys so thick? Three and a half years with Jesus, 40 days explanation, whatever it takes, and they still don't get it. But hey, you have to understand that there are plenty of Old Testament texts, and there was this great awareness within the nation of Israel that we will be redeemed by some deliverer. Now, it's true that that redemption for them pretty much meant kick the Romans out and give us our nation back. And even though there'd been numerous times in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in those books when Jesus tried to adjust their thinking on this topic, they never fully understood what the kingdom of God was, I don't believe, until the day of Pentecost when they they understood in an experiential way. Isn't that the best way to learn? You can learn by having stuff in your head. And you can, you can say, well, in fact, I was with some of our young people this morning. I got Gene to teach my class. Thanks, Gene. I'm sure you did well. So I could be with some of the young people, and they were talking about faith. What is faith? Well, you can have faith, I suppose, that, yeah, there's lots of evidence, even extra-biblical evidence, that Jesus was actually a historical figure, Of course, there were many Jesuses in the first century, but there was a person called Jesus Christ who actually got crucified on a cross. You can have faith in stuff, in in all of that sort of stuff. I suppose you can have faith that the Seventh-day Adventist teachings are correct, the Seventh-day Adventist church is, is the way to go. You can have all of that. But when you experience something, I'm sure you could read textbooks on love. It's like reading a textbook on learning to swim. Somebody's got to get you and throw you in the water, which my dad and uncle tried to do with me once. I scratched their arms up, uh, so they let go of me. And I've been fearful of water since. No, I haven't. I'm I'm just kidding. But we've got to get in the water. We've got to experience these things and... If somebody said to me, well, Terry, we know that you love Cecil because you signed a certificate once. Or you had a a, a wedding ceremony. I'd say, eh, doesn't cut it. I love her on a much deeper level than just something in the head. 
or something on a piece of paper. And that's how our relationship with, with, with God must be. And so when this anointing of the Holy Spirit comes in Acts chapter 2, tremendous clarity comes to these disciples. Tremendous power and boldness. They were weak men hiding away in a room. Now they're bold men on street corners proclaiming the Lord Jesus Christ. The priests and the, and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the, they must have looked over their spectacles saying, what on earth is going on here? We thought we'd scared the living daylights out of them. But when God gets a hold of a man, a woman, a boy, or a girl, then there is this holy boldness to witness. There is a fear of witnessing. There is a fear of sharing the faith. But that does not come from God. That does not come from the Holy Spirit. Quite the opposite. The Holy Spirit empowers us, energizes us. So Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus really doesn't answer it. He lays the focus elsewhere. And by the way, that's a good way of witnessing. When you're trying to explain things, when you're a teacher or you're trying to explain things to people, or maybe you're doing it actually as you're witnessing to people, not every question has to be answered. I don't think I've ever heard a straight answer from a politician yet. You're going to see a lot of these uh, evading the answers. It's not all bad. It's bad when our politicians do it, but it's not all bad if we do it for the right reasons, because you want to refocus people, get their minds somewhere else. It is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by His own authority. And you can write in there, Harold Camping, Date setter. Does Harold learn from his mistakes when the dates fail? Apparently not, because he keeps setting dates. And of course, we have a history. Early Adventism, the Millerites had a history of date setting. Notice here the focus has to be somewhere else. So it's not for you. That's the Father's prerogative. It's really got nothing to you. In fact, Jesus says um, earlier that he doesn't know the day or the hour. So don't focus on those things. There's enough trouble for one day. Take care. This one day that you have, this moment that you have. On Sabbath, I was with Joe in a hospital. On Sunday, he had passed away. That's how sudden it can be. Praise God that He loved Jesus Christ. Hey? You will receive power. Here's what you need to focus on. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be My witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now I want to ask you a very simple question here. Do you know something of this power of the Holy Spirit? Have you had times in your life when you just have had such an anointing of God that maybe He takes you from a person of fear to a person of courage? This morning with the children, we were talking a little bit about Abraham. Abraham was not Mr. Courageous on day one. 
Abraham was the man of faith because his faith was built up. There were ups, there were downs. And it's important to talk about the downs of Abraham to understand the ups of Abraham. Many of us in life can seem to make two steps forward, one step back. But do we learn in, through those experiences? Does faith mature and grow and hopefully become stronger? Even when we sin, when we sin, can sin be a learning experience for us so that we can be a, a more faithful, mature, stronger Christian? I hope so. And every one of us should know something this morning if we call ourselves a Christian. In fact, Paul says, I believe in Corinthians, if we do not have the Spirit of God, we are none of His. The distinguishing mark of God's people is the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So often we, we put something else in its place. But it's the, you, can, you can be in a, a non-Seventh-day Christian environment. You can be with people that love the Lord Jesus Christ. When Emilio Canetli was trying to witness to people like Billy Graham and others, he says, I've never been with such godly people. Now, you, may, you and I may not fully understand that because they don't do this and they don't do that. But what do they do that's right? That maybe we miss. I don't hear Seventh-day Adventists talking very much about the Holy Spirit. Why is that? Is it like a small topic in Scripture? Is, is it something that is a side issue, a peripheral thing? Just as long as the church is satisfied with small things, will it fail of receiving the great things of God? Why do we not hunger and thirst after the gift of the Spirit? So those of us who have the Holy Spirit which, of course, identifies us as a Christian, we need to be asking for a daily baptism of the Holy Spirit. We need to be asking for a greater anointing. When we see empty pews, when we see a mission field unfulfilled in the city of Anderson, or Reading, or wherever else do we live, Cottonwood, Red Bluff, then we should be on our knees in repentance. Forgive us, Lord, for being so small-minded, so weak-minded. Forgive us for getting, allowing Satan to sidetrack us so easily. Why do we not hunger and thirst after the gift of the Spirit? Since this is the means by which we are to receive power. How many of you need power? Not power just to give up your pet sin. Do you think that's the big issue in the kingdom of God? It's an issue. But it's not the main issue. It's not about you. First sentence in Rick Warren's famous book. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. And if somebody like Peter had waited until perfection before he witnessed for Jesus, you'd never hear of Peter in Scripture. So we need to hunger and thirst after the gift of the Spirit because this is the means of receiving power. Talk of it. Pray for it. Preach concerning it. Well, at least I've got something right. The Lord is more willing to give the Holy Spirit to us than parents are to give good gifts to their children. 
Well, let's wrap this up. He's talking about the kingdom of God. He's talking about witnessing, the importance of a witness to Jesus Christ. And he's talking about the anointing, the power of the Holy Spirit coming upon you and enabling you to be witnesses. So these men and women, and women are included, you'll see that as we work our way through the book of Acts, plenty of women that worked alongside of Jesus. These are the people that need extra power. In other words, there's a work to be done that's going to take them away from their small-minded, national, literal, small... Do you know how small Israel is, the the nation of Israel? The land. The land is what it's called in the Bible. It's just a sliver of real estate. Got to get their mind away from that and give them a global perspective, a universal perspective. And actually, even when you get a global perspective, that's not big enough. Because someone like Paul will come along later and say, hey, this is a universal issue. This is a great controversy. He doesn't use those words. But the idea is there. It's universal. It's the whole universe that has to be reconciled back to God. It just so happens that this earth is where the play is being acted out. And I don't know if you're a good actor or a good actress, but you are involved in the play. And in fact, if you're a Christian, you have a leading role. Some people don't like to be out up front. Pastor, don't ask me to get up front and say anything. Well, Jesus is asking you to do that for Him. Get out there. Maybe you don't have the gift of the gab. But you can do acts of kindness for people. You can let your light shine in so many different ways. This week um, and this Monday evening, we're going to be discussing board meeting. What's happening Monday evening? Monday evening, board meeting. We're going to be discussing mission. We're going to be discussing about adopting an apartment. And we're going to be looking for church members who will go to that apartment and take groceries and do acts of kindness for these people. Simple, simple ministries that can touch people's lives. And if we did nothing else in this church than went out and said, can I pray for you? You don't know how incredibly powerful that can be. Maybe you are the only person in 30, 40, 50, 60 years who has ever offered to pray for Fred or Mabel. Don't you enjoy being a Christian? You will enjoy it even more when you get on the cutting edge of witnessing for the Lord Jesus Christ because the gift is linked with witnessing. That's how the kingdom of God expands and spreads everyone in this room, boys, girls, men, women, saying and doing something for Jesus to expand His kingdom. Empty pews will fill if we're faithful to what Jesus asks us to do. Let's pray. Gracious God, once again we thank You for our Lord Jesus Christ. And I guess, Lord, we better start practicing praise now. 
because we'll be doing that for eternity. So we thank you for Jesus, for his perfect life, sealed on the cross of Calvary so that we can have everlasting life, raised from the dead, ascended to heaven, and this great celebration, this great coronation with this outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the early Christian church. Lord, this work will not finish with any less power than what we saw at Pentecost. There will be a great, greater Pentecost before Jesus Christ comes back. And I pray, Lord, that every one of us in this room, if we're living at that time, will be part of this tremendous ministry of the Holy Ghost. Make it a reality, Lord, in our lives. Destroy our idols. Just take them away. Help us to focus on what's important. And we give you the praise and the honor and the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.